So welcome everyone to the Methods Cafe. It's a pleasure to have this imminent collection of colleagues with me today. It's amazing because I don't think I've ever actually seen you all in one place at the same time. So this is the first time <laughs> that I think I'm meeting all of you um, in one go. But we're very lucky to have you all with us because many of the students on the MA and uh, on the LLM programs as well, there's a few there are thinking about doing a PhD. And as you have all taken the plunge, I thought, what a better way but to speak to a few people who are at different stages and who hopefully can share a few tips with the students and anyone else in, out in the world thinking of doing a PhD. So I am not going to introduce yourselves because I'm just going to ask you all to introduce yourselves if that's all right. So could you all sort of say a little bit about who you are, what your PhD topic is, maybe what you consider to be your disciplinary home and kind of where, where you're at with it? Yeah, that'd be grand. I just go like the first person in my screen is Connor. Yeah, sure. So um, my name is Connor. I'm a final year PhD student. So I've done the master's, I've done two years and now I'm in my third and final year. My research topic is the extreme right and uh, social media content moderation. So loosely what it looks to do is kind of understand and categorize extreme right imagery and then look at technical tools that identify content and how, and try and explain how extreme right imagery kind of avoids and surpasses and circumvents content moderation practices. My background discipline, I suppose, would be criminology. I then did a MA in cybercrime and terrorism before embarking on the PhD. And that's me. Brilliant. I've got Nin next on my screen. Uh, I'm Ninian, and I am in the second year of my PhD. I did the uh, maths, I did my undergraduate in criminology and psychology, and then I did the master's in social research methods. And now I'm studying uh, the online extreme right um, on the internet. I study static websites that belong to extreme rights groups. And I look at gender. Um, the aim of my PhD is to like map uh, extreme white websites. So that's like how they link to each other to understand like how they're groups form like are there sort of like distinct clusters of far-right websites like maybe trad wives all hang out together to sort of look, look for that and then I study gender in the I'm aiming to do a content analysis where I will look at if there are consistencies or inconsistencies in beliefs about gender and different beliefs about gender and gendered issues so like, does everyone in the far right believe that women belong in the kitchen or are some women, people in the far right happy for women to be part of movements or like, have opinions? And then like where these differences or agreements is, appear. Yeah, it's, I, it's a criminology PhD. And I think that that makes sense for this PhD because criminology is already a subject that is influenced by other subjects like sociology, communication studies, uh, criminalization, uh, securitization, politics and international relations like that also comes into criminology anyway so I think that it's sort of quite happily situated in crim and that's me. Thank you very much. Uh, I've got Florence next. Hi so my name is Florence um, I'm currently in the master's year uh, of doing a one plus three PhD which is funded by the ESRC 
So for my research, I'm going to be looking at online abuse experienced by high profile women um, and thinking about the extent to which policy and legislation is adequately supporting women who are at that high risk of victimization online. So I've also come from a criminology background, um, but for the PhD, I'll be mainly based in the School of Law um, and I'll be part of the Cytrek research team here at Swansea as well. Fabulous. Thank you very much. Last but definitely not least, Genevieve. Hi, I'm Genevieve. Um, my PhD topic is going to be around community technology. So looking at how we can use digital infrastructure to teach digital skills to people, maybe through the development of pervasive display networks or things like community broadband um, projects. Like Florence, I'm currently in my master's training year, the ESRC funded studentship. Um, my pathway is digital economy and society, so I am based in computer science. Amazing. Thank you all very much. Great. So hopefully people can get a sense that we have a variety of disciplines in the room and also people at different stages from this kind of first year where a lot of PhD programs, I don't know how familiar the listeners are with this, a lot of the PhD programs that are funded through one of the UK research councils, they will include one year of a master's first. So that's why we talk about one plus three and we talk about being in the in the master's year, just in case uh, people aren't aware of that. But um, yeah, grand, amazing. So what motivated you all to embark on, on a PhD project? Would anyone like to go first? Um, I don't mind jumping in on that one. Go on. Um, I don't know whether the others will agree with me, but uh, personally, it was never really part of my plan to do a PhD. It wasn't something that I'd already decided I wanted to do when I was an undergraduate or anything like that. Um, and maybe the others relate that I just sort of fell into an, an area of research just by following what I find interesting and, and following my own curiosity. So for me, my favorite module when I was doing criminology undergraduate here at Swansea was the terrorism and propaganda module, uh, which just naturally led me to do the masters in cybercrime and terrorism here. And again, naturally, I just found certain topics really stood out when I was studying that. So it felt like a natural progression for me to develop my own research proposal. And it felt like a, the right fit for me, I suppose, to continue that to a PhD level. Yeah, yeah. Does anyone else relate to that? I've got like a, a similar one. So when I did my undergraduate, my favorite module was terrorism, risk and security. It was a fantastic module, but I really didn't want to study terrorism any further at that point. This was in like 20, sort of 16, 17. And it was then like prevent, the prevent policy was having a lot of criticism and we could sort of see that UK handling of the terrorist threats like domestically weren't that great. And I sort of thought, I like, I'm really interested in this topic, but I don't really think I want to get involved in this when the sort of result of all this research seems to be prevent, which no one really likes. So I took a couple of years out and then fortunately for me and unfortunately for the rest of the world and me too, the far right became a very like sexy topic to study in term in like a terrorism context and that I was like well great I like love terrorism and I sort of thought I kind of my hope was that we'd learn from what had gone what what the criticisms of prevent were and not repeat that again with like far right extremists and terrorists so I sort of thought well this is a kind of a fresh thing that is a really pressing issue I am very interested in it anyway and maybe we can like do it better this time with some like learning from like how how how, how prevented gone. So that was and then my, my PhD was advertised as like mapping uh, the online extreme right. Interested in gender. I love the internet. 
I, I, I love the idea of like studying Nazis on the internet for four years. Like, sign me up. <laughs> Brilliant. Yeah. And the, actually, there's a, an interesting distinction here to highlight to the listeners, because I know that, Nin, you were just saying that your PhD was sort of advertised as a kind of partly defined project, which you applied to do a little bit like you would apply for a job. So that's one way to do a PhD, whereas um, in the case of Florence and I think Genevieve as well, you actually designed your own projects and that's sort of how you, you know, you, you were applying with, I suppose, a, um, a project that you had to design yourself from scratch versus applying for a, a project which, you know, once you get there, you make it your own, but that's already kind of partly defined and maybe there are some stakeholders outside of the university that are also kind of involved in the project. So, so that's, it's good to tell people about this, these two routes, I guess. Uh, Connor, Genevieve, did you want to say anything about your motivation? Yeah, yeah, come in. Uh, so my undergraduate degree I did um, in chemical engineering and I got to third year and I didn't really enjoy really any of it. I really didn't want to carry on with it, uh, but I did finish. But I applied for the computer science conversion master's at Swansea, which I um, really enjoyed. And I think I got to the summer I was doing my master's dissertation stuff and I didn't want to stop learning about computer science and being in the kind of that environment with a load of people doing research in that particular area and my supervisor at the time was like have you thought seriously about maybe doing a PhD and I thought well I thought about it but hadn't considered it seriously so over the summer I kind of was like okay I kind of this ESRC DTP thing looks really interesting I think I'm going to apply for that and the motivation for it I guess just the topic around it is based on my previous supervisor's research interest which I find pretty fascinating so I guess for me that's where my motivation has kind of come from with this. I think I have a slightly different uh, motivation to, to what's been voiced so far so I kind of mentioned earlier that I did a criminology undergraduate and uh, ironically for a PhD student um, I didn't have particularly good written communication skills uh, I, I would say I was averaging two twos in the first year of my undergrad and then as I kind of progressed, I was kind of averaging firsts. And so I think the the appeal of the PhD to me was was like, can I do it? You know, I think as an undergrad, maybe, or even as a MA student, you kind of look at PhD students and think, well, that person just has to have a an unfathomable amount of interest and motivation and potential. And, and to me, I was like, well, can I, is that something that I can do? Can I keep up with that? So it was like the the challenge because it, it really is a, a challenge, a PhD. You know, you don't, I don't think anyone takes it lightly. So I think the the appeal for me was was as much the research. I did some interesting projects in my undergrad and my master's, and I got to kind of look at some real data, which was particularly motivating for me. But yeah, the kind of allure of, you know, can I do it? Is it something I'm capable of doing was, was a lot to do with it for me. Great, yeah. That's actually a perfect segue into the next question. <clears throat> but um, I did want to just curious out of all of you, have, have you got like academics in, in, in the family? Has anyone got like role models, uh, you know, in your family or whatever that, that, that are in academia? Yeah, my, my dad's uh, an academic. Yeah, my, that's probably like, my main motivation. I think I always wanted to do a PhD because my dad just 
this is not true. My dad told me that he didn't have a boss. I thought that sounded sick. Um, so it was like, well, clearly I just have to do like everything that my dad has done and then I won't have a boss. And he does have a boss. He just pretends he doesn't have a boss. But I do think academia is a job that where you kind of can pretend you don't have a boss like more than other jobs. <laughs> um, and that, I think I probably already like was like I already committed to the idea of academia before I realized actually, no, you do still have a boss. But yeah, it affords you a lot more freedom than I think other careers do. And that's something that I really wanted out of a, PhD, like a career in academia after a PhD. So it was kind of like something I wanted for that. That was a big motivation. Yeah. Um, I personally don't have anyone in my family that's ever gone to uni at all, let alone thought about doing a PhD. So I was kind of the first first person in my family to really make that step towards academia. And I suppose I thought if I'm going to be the first to go to uni, I might as well be the first to do a master's and the first to do a PhD. Just keep going. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah, so that's that's great. There's like a real mix here, you know, so just to make the point that, you know, even if a PhD is not something anyone, you know, in your immediate circle is done, that's not to say that, you know, it's not within reach. And I think I'd, I'd encourage anyone who has a passion for research and who enjoys that side of it when they're at undergraduate master's level to seriously consider it as, as, a, as an option, both for the challenge and for the career that it sort of leads on to so what would you say are the the most important skills or attributes to actually get onto a PhD program maybe get funding for a PhD program and then actually succeed or you know sort of persevere maybe is the best word <laughs> through a PhD I can maybe chime in first I think one of coming to the end of the program now and kind of seeing like different people's processes through the the multiple years I think the the most obvious kind of trait you can have from the get-go is the the ability to do work without seeing results right so the the idea of like as long as you start now eventually it'll get there as long as you don't need immediate kind of turnaround I think you're probably set for a for the duration, I think some people can struggle because it's that this idea that you embark on something that's three years long, if not longer, um, and you don't get to get the feeling of completion until that's done. So kind of delay gratification, if you can kind of, if you can do that, that's great. And I think networking as well. I think networking is probably one of the biggest things you can benefit from because historically PhDs have been quite isolated experiences. You know, you kind of get locked away in your room and you write, but I think that's changing now. And the way that it's changing is that more people are doing them. There's a there's a community that's always growing and kind of virtually you can meet people as well as in person. I think, you know, just speaking to some of the people that are even on this this panel has helped me over the over the previous years to just kind of, yeah, understand that there's a, about a thousand ways to get to the PhD at the end and, and they all pretty much look different. So those are the main two I think I would offer. Um, I, I think because I'm the very start of this I'm not entirely I don't have the experience of actually starting to do the PhD at this point but I think in terms of like skills the, the really nice thing about say ESRC the DTP where you have the social research master's part of it is that you kind of just come as you are in a way and you do get to pick up those skills through doing that social research master's I think one of the really only things you have to come with I think sorry you're saying this a bit earlier but just to come with the motivation, the passion to be able to do something. I think if you have that drive, um, the kind of way towards it is kind of immaterial. Just, you know, you will learn things over the next couple of years as you do them. But just to come with the 
yeah, the drive to do it, I think, is really important. Just to add on to what Genevieve's just said there as well, I think it's important to think that if you're applying for funding for a PhD and you sit down with the interview panel, they're not expecting perfection and they're not expecting you to already be super knowledgeable or some kind of walking encyclopedia on your topic yet or, or all of these knowledge and skills for, for research methods. Um, what they are, I'd say, looking for is someone who has that potential that they are going to be a strong candidate going forwards and that they are going to become a well-rounded researcher as part of the process of doing a PhD. And if you're doing an integrated master's beforehand as well, like myself and Jen, then it builds you all of these opportunities to become a stronger researcher. So I think you don't need to panic too much at the offset when you're applying about having a certain skill set and being super confident in those because there's so many opportunities to build and become a more rounded researcher as you go along. Yeah, that's a really interesting point, especially because particularly for we just so happen that we we don't have anyone in the room with us with a, a background in in law but quite a few of our students will have done a first degree in law and in many ways if you do a law degree students will not be used to thinking about the skills that they've learned around finding legal sources examining legal sources they, they will not be used to thinking about those as research methods so it's really it's a really interesting point that you're making there because really what uh, I'd encourage anyone with that particular background to do is to maybe have a, a think about all of the research that you've done during your undergraduate or postgraduate degree. Think about the skills that you've had to develop to, to, to do that kind of research, even if it wasn't, you know, a dissertation. And, and then have a read about, you know, what research methods are all about so that you're you're aware of what skills you might want to develop throughout the PhD. I think if you come to an interview with a good sense of what you don't know, <laughs> that's probably you know more than enough for the, for the panel in, in in many ways. So yeah, thank you for that. That's really helpful. Does anyone else want to come in? Uh, I can go in with like some of the obvious stuff. That I think Juan sort of touched on is that I think you do have to be pretty driven and self-driven and motivated to do things or like you sort of because there's no one like looking over your shoulder every day being like oh, are you actually working so you do have to make sure that you're working and some people are going to find that easier than others so I think if you're not someone who can just get up and do stuff like off the bat in their living room you need to work out what makes you do stuff and then like be able to do that so if you know that you can't work at home then you do need to go somewhere that you can work and like that ability to like create an environment where you can succeed is really important if it doesn't come like naturally to to you so yeah that that's sort of like uh, self-reflection to be like okay what how am I going to make myself be able to do these things is important as well as just like other people who could just you know bash out which not everyone can do yeah yeah absolutely if if you're not like an amazingly self-disciplined person then find ways to kind of discipline yourself I guess <laughs> yeah 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 totally I can definitely relate to that I have to trick my brain sometimes into uh, completing certain tasks yeah I mean let's not talk about marking season but I do sometimes have set myself these little goals you know if you mark five things five exams in a row then you can reward yourself with like uh a little episode of Brooklyn Nine-Nine or something, <laughs> you know, something like that. Whatever, whatever keeps us going. Um, great. Fab. I suppose we're 
moving on to our, our last question, which is around, I suppose, if you could pick up the phone and, and call yourself <laughs> at an earlier stage when you were applying for funding or when, you know, when you were a few, if you're a few years into the PhD, you know, maybe earlier on in the PhD, what advice would you give yourself, <laughs> your earlier self in this, in this journey? I can go. Um, so I think pre, pre getting into the PhD. So in the application process, I would say that you should, you should take confidence from the fact that if you're thinking about doing a PhD, you're in a good starting place, right? A lot of people kind of finish an undergrad or finish a master's and they've, they've pretty much had their fill of academia. Um, so the fact that you're even kind of, you still have that motivation is a really good starting point. And then on the back of that, if you're kind of thinking of this and talking to a supervisor or a potential supervisor and they are kind of helping you pursue this, that means that they have the faith in you and that you're not the only one that thinks that you can do this. So I would say take confidence from those things quite early on. And then once you're kind of early into the process, so like maybe in your first year PhD, um, we've kind of talked previously in this, in this kind of conversation about uh, being motivated and kind of being driven. I would say four years is a long time. That's going to waver uh, inevitably. You can't continue to be motivated and be passionate. I would say, as Nin kind of pointed to, the discipline kind of comes in in handy there. But I would say, if at some points you kind of get into this process of writing and you're like, I'm struggling here. Maybe I, you know, have I done the right thing or not? Just kind of chalk it down to, you know, it being a long term project and. If you doubt yourself and second guess yourself, it's like, it's okay. It's a long time. It'll be good again and it'll be bad again and it'll be good again. So just kind of have faith in yourself and, and the, and the reasons why you wanted to do it in the first place. So maybe that. That's great advice. That's advice I should have followed myself. I remember, you know, the night before my Viva. So uh, for those of you who are familiar with the, what, you know, the, the examination procedures for a PhD when you get to the end you know you, you write this this huge piece of work and then you have essentially what is an oral exam where you get a, a couple of people who are experts in the field to to, to read the PhD and, and then ask you questions about it. I convinced myself the night before the Viva that I was going to fail like I was genuinely convinced that I was going to fail the Viva um, and it's I think it is what you're saying it's just part of this because it's it's you know, it's your work and you spend so long uh, looking at it. You just inevitably go through these ups and downs of self-doubt uh, and and then, you know, somewhat being satisfied with it. I, you know, I think by nature, if you just to do a PhD, you're never quite satisfied with it. But, uh, you know, um, yeah. Anyone um, else want to? Yeah, sorry. Yeah. Sorry, Florence, go it's on. Okay. I think my advice would be um, for anyone who's kind of end, near the end of their master's now and, and starting to think about what their next step is going to be, it's just that there's no real rush. I think I put quite a lot of pressure on myself when I was near the end of a master's to come up with a complete life plan of five years, where will I be? And there's really no need. And if you're starting to now think that you might like to do a PhD um, and you're looking into funding options and feeling like you've missed deadlines and things to apply for things, that's okay. And it's plenty of people do take time out in between doing a master's and perhaps go and do something else or do an internship or have a role as a research assistant there are things that you can go and do and come back to a PhD in a few years time if you're not sure right now if it's right um, and you're still making up your mind there is no reason why you have to go straight from a master's straight onto your PhD so there's no no need to kind of stress yourself out about what the next step is um, 
and just to do things at your own pace really yeah yeah because Florence did you go did you even get like a, a holiday between like any kind of a summer between I didn't I went straight on straight from my yeah. undergraduate straight to master's I never had a gap year before uni or anything like that and yeah I feel like I put too much pressure on myself sometimes to know where I will be this time next year yeah. and it's okay to just take a break sometimes and, and slow yeah. down do, do things at a slower pace yeah you know, yeah it's a marathon not a sprint <laughs> absolutely so, yeah. We'll have to make sure that you take time off during the PhD because it is a bit like a job in the sense that, you know, people expect you to go on holiday. You're not supposed to just like work for four years. <laughs> Definitely. Um, and when we were speaking earlier, actually, about uh, staying motivated and uh, our motivations for doing a PhD, one of the questions I actually got when I was applying for funding was about how will you stay motivated even two or three years in? Because obviously it's great at the start of your PhD when you're applying to think this is a topic I'm really passionate about um, and I'm really interested in reading papers on this topic and, and seeing it as an exciting thing. But you need to think a few years down the line that kind of novelty of doing a PhD will wear off and how are you going to stay motivated? And it's actually something they asked me about, like how will you take care of yourself and manage your time to make sure that you are taking a break um, or still having hobbies and just going out for a walk sometimes and realizing that there is a certain amount of balancing your time when you're doing a PhD and, and making time for yourself as well as just constantly creating your next academic goal and, and going for that. So yeah, taking breaks and, and taking it slow is definitely a good thing. Awesome. Great advice. Anyone else? Um, so yeah, I, I really agree with what Flo just said there. Um, between finishing my master's degree and starting the social research methods, I kind of had kind of a year off. Um, I was an RA with Sarah on the uh, cyber clinic, <laughs> which was fantastic kind of, I think, preparation for me starting the social research master's. But because it was a part-time position, I had a lot of other time to focus on getting ready and all the kind of the mental preparations you do before you start another degree kind of really good headspace to be in I think for myself um at the time I think I was offered the opportunity to speak to some of the students um who are doing the digital economy and society pathway um stuff and I foolishly didn't take that up um not that I think I've been affected by not doing it like negatively affected by not doing it but I think it would have been fantastic to actually get to know them before starting the social research masters, uh, just to get kind of a sense of community that exists when you'll start, I think. Yeah, yeah, that's a great idea, actually. Um, did all of you have a connection to Swansea before starting this programme? I think all no, but so Lynn. I, so. Yeah, I didn't. <laughs> um, I guess my, my way in was a bit different to the other ones that have gone, was... Um, so I like had two full years out and I didn't stick in academia at all. I was working in a shop, in an outdoor shop for a couple of years, just talking about sports all day and just not thinking about anything to do with anything that wasn't sports. And I was applying for PhDs. So I guess like my advice is for people who are who are like me and they're, they're totally left academia behind. I knew that I wanted to go back to academia, but it was surprisingly difficult to get myself into a point where I could apply for PhDs. So I did try to do what some other people here have done and like design my own project. I found that very difficult to do with the, cause I was working, my, my hours were like nine till six, they weren't nine till five. I found it really hard to like make the time to write this application. I took some holiday to try and write an application, but didn't manage to get anywhere with it. I think it was hard not having like an actual supervisor to support that. 
So my advice would be something I did do, but didn't end up seeing to fruition. Um, contact co contacting academics that you're in whose work you're interested in goes a really long way. Even if people aren't like currently advertising an ESRC internship or not internship scholarship or like any other sort of funding things on a program, still like messaging academics whose work you like and would like to work with to say like what have you got going like I'm thinking of doing a PhD that I did get some good responses from people that way so I think that was a helpful way of getting back in but the easiest way for me to get back into academia was for the, the program that was already funded and that's what I applied to just for like my own like time constraints and then when it comes to sort of taking that break that people were talking about before work so before I started my PhD, I quit my job, but I had some holiday left to take. So I had like a month off basically that was paid and I didn't take it as holiday. I still think that was like the dumbest thing ever. It was 2020, like, like peak summer lockdown. And I was there like, no, I have to get ahead of like my PhD and reading all these books. Like, don't do that. Like actually take a break. If you like, if you have some magical position where you've got like leftover holiday, take that holiday. Cause obviously we are meant to take holidays, PhDs, but it is hard to do. And um, if you don't have someone there being like take two weeks off because it's your holiday it is hard to like to make yourself do that so if you have holiday before your PhD just like take it that's also my advice and do I have any more advice oh yeah like, just like trust yourself if you're sat there worrying like am I working enough you probably are working enough people who aren't working enough don't worry they're not working enough so don't sit around beating yourself up about like am I doing everything that I need to do like if you're worried, like it's a good sign that you actually are doing everything that well, you are doing what you need to do. And your supervisor there to like help you with these like feelings of imposter syndrome or oh, I'm actually I'm actually a really lazy person and I'll never get my PhD. Just like towards people about these feelings, because everyone feels them too, and your supervisor will be there being like, No, you're actually on track, it's fine. So that's my advice. I wish I had spoken to all of you before I started my PhD. <laughs> Uh, but Nin, I actually I have I had a very similar experience to you actually because I also tried to apply with my own project, and I think yeah I think once you've been out of academia for a little while, it is very difficult to get a proposal to a stage the the level that is expected really. So I I did also do a PhD that was partly defined, and that's how I I managed to get into academia myself. So. Yeah, if, if people do have an idea for a project, though, what I would say is if you don't get in the first time around, you can always ask for feedback on the proposal and try again, you know, try again for the next intake or try again for the next year. You never know. You know, I think the, the, the process of, of writing the proposal and then reviewing the feedback that you might be sent on it is could get you over the line I know a few people who got onto funded PhDs via that route of course it takes a bit longer <laughs> um, but you know if, if it's a project you're really passionate about I think it's, it's worth it and you might just get lucky as well I mean a lot of it is luck you know you you everyone has to work really hard but at the end of the day you also there's an element of being in the right place at the right time <laughs> um, yeah big college did you want to come in yeah, I just wanted to second your point there, where if you don't get the first one, it doesn't mean then that you're not a PhD material. I think I, I to think it might have been three that I, I think I got to the kind of final stage twice and didn't even get to the first stage once. Um, and then the fourth time round, um, 
when I was probably, you know, like a tiny millimeter off of giving up, um, got in. Um, so I, I think you're absolutely right in terms of like, if don't, don't be dissuaded if you don't get it first time. Um, it just, yeah, there's, there's, there's still very much the opportunity that it can be something that you do. It just wasn't this time. So I think that's a really good point that I hadn't thought to make before. Awesome. And I think this is a very nice, positive place to, to leave it. Uh, so thank you so much to all of you for joining us for the Methods Cafe. I think everyone's going to benefit massively from listening to your thoughts and reflections. So thank you very much and see you soon. Bye.